just knowing that God loves us. I'm just going to start this morning by telling you a little bit of a story. I just turned 50 years old in January. 50 years old. And my wife decided to send me on a great, amazing birthday. We went down to Virginia Beach to see my son. So we, we, uh, it was a surprise, and we drove down there. And as we drove down, we had the best time and the best weekend. It was wonderful. And something that happens when we go on trips, I usually get a little grouchy. My family will tell you that. I was pretty good, though. And one of the things that I pride myself in, which I shouldn't, but I did, you know, pride goes before the fall, I prided myself in knowing exactly where I was going and exactly what I was doing. When I was a little kid, my dad would say, Mark, here's the map. Tell us how to get there. It was scary, but because he did that, I, I know exactly where I'm going all the time, and I don't need that lady telling me where I'm going. I just, I don't need the GPS, except on the way back, uh, it was a little different of a trip, and we were coming over the Del Mar Bridge, and I know it because the Cracker Barrel is on the right, and I know after we pass the Cracker Barrel, on the left is the New Jersey Turnpike. On the right is another road, I think it's 295, and every once in a while, I don't know what it is, I, I get a little nervous, I guess, and I, I just took the, I took the one on the right. So I'm driving on the wrong road, but I know this time when we're coming home, I know where I am, I know the New Jersey Turnpike is over here, and I know that we're on this road, and I know that there's exits that say, New Jersey Turnpike, this way. And about 10 miles down the road, at one time, I took New Jersey Turnpike exit, and we got right on. This time, for some reason, as we're driving, I'm getting nervous, I'm getting anxious, I'm not where I want to be. And it's building and building. I don't know if you've ever been there before. Just building and building. So I take the first exit I see that says New Jersey Turnpike. So I get off, and then it says New Jersey Turnpike, three miles. Really? Three miles? It felt like 67 miles. It was forever in the dark. And I'm still building with this anxiety. We finally get to um, the on-ramp, and we use the easy pass, and I pull through. And as I pull through, it says, New York North, this way, Baltimore South, this way. But for some reason, as I looked at it, it, both, it looked like it was in the same spot. And in front of us was a cone, a cone, a cone, a space. A cone, a cone, a cone. So I stopped the car, and nobody was behind us. And I just sat there, and I was like, what do I do? I didn't know what to do. And like an idiot, I went through the cones. And as soon as I went through the cones, two headlights were coming straight towards us. I was going the wrong way on the New Jersey Turnpike. I don't know if you've ever had something like that happen. All of a sudden, bam, out of nowhere, your life is upside down. The other day, I was standing out in front of my house, and bam, out of nowhere, I'm laying on my back. I love ice. Actually, I wish this stuff would go away. But that's what happens. Nationwide has this ad. If you look on TV, it, it asks people to do this. We want to map out what you think your future will look like. Put the blue little sticker over here for your future if you think it's going to be wonderful. Put the yellow sticker over here if you think it's going to be like, eh, not so good. So everybody did that. And you know what happened? Everybody's thought is that your future and my future is going to be bright. We're positive. It's going to be rosy. And then they said, well, we want you to do one other thing. Take the blue sticker for your past and put it on the board and say for that sticker if it was rosy or not, if things happened well, and put the yellow thing on there for things that didn't happen so well. And do you know what happened? 
People's pasts were full of troubles, car accidents, deaths, things, illnesses, and it wasn't as rosy as they thought. Do you know, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and as your Redeemer, you will have problems. If you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, you will have problems. But for us who know him, the afflictions of the righteous are many, but he delivers us out of them all. Amen? Amen. He does. You might not feel that way, though. It might not feel exactly that way. There are people that have trials here. You feel like you've been in that trial forever, and it's never leaving. And some people had trials like me that was for maybe about 45 seconds. And some of it is years and years and years. So what do we do? What do we do with our lives that are full with trials? And everybody here has different trials. My trials are different than yours. But what do we do with them? And I'm here to tell you this morning, when you read the Bible, our hope in our trials is Jesus Christ. That's our only hope, is Christ, is Jesus. That's our hope in our trials. So this morning, I'm going to read with you. I I want you to follow along with me. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 14. In your Bible, it's on page 1160. And we're going to look and see how Jesus is our hope in trials. And I love Scripture. I love how the Bible lays out plainly life. We're going to start in verse 13 in the book of Matthew. Let me just pray quickly. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come into our hearts and in our minds and that we may behold wonderful things from your law that we would be changed by it, that our world would know that their hope is Jesus Christ, our hope is Jesus Christ in our trials, in our difficulties, whatever that is. So Lord, help us to be a light. We know you're our salvation. Help us to be a light, even in the midst of the trials that you place us in. In Jesus' precious holy name, amen. In verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus heard it, he withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place by himself. And when the multitudes heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when he went ashore, he saw a great multitude and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him, saying, The place is desolate, and the time is already past. So send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. And ordering the multitudes to recline on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. And there were about five thousand men who ate, aside from women and children. And immediately he made the disciples get into the boat, and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. 
And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened and saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You certainly are the Son of God. I want to look at this morning different waves of hope for your trials that we could pull from Scripture here this morning. The first one is that he teaches you, that Jesus Christ is teaching you in your trials, that when you're going through something, he wants to tell you that he loves you, that he cares about you, and that he'll never leave you, that he is the Son of God, that he is the bread of life. Now, we see that in the first couple of verses that we looked at. You know, the disciples had a problem. There was probably about 20,000 people there, not 5,000, because they don't really include the women and children. And Philip comes to Jesus and he says, hey, can you send the crowd away? Because we don't have enough money here. We don't have enough ability here to feed them. And if you don't send them away, he's probably thinking they might all die because they're not leaving you, or maybe we'll have a riot. But Jesus says to him, you feed them. And Philip and the other disciples say, we have something, but it's very little. It's only uh, five loaves and two fish. That's all we have. That's all we can give you. It's not much, and it's certainly never, ever going to work. And for us in our trials, we have to come to God and give him what we have, whatever that is. And God will take it and miraculously use it, whatever it is. Getting on our knees and praying to him and asking him to use us and the difficulties that we're facing. That he will take that, and just like he, they broke the bread and fed all those people, wait till you see what God would do in your life. For me, trials are difficult. I'm a crybaby. Why, God? Why did you put me in this position? I don't like it. And a matter of fact, I'm not too happy with you. That's generally been my way. But if I would just get out of my way and see what God is doing... Look what God did. He fed all those people. He is God. He was saying that to them. I am God, and I could take what you have, even if it's measly five loaves and two fish. And I love you, and I'll never leave you. I'm not a very good teacher. I could stand up here. I could read the Bible, and I could spit it back out at you. But if you ask me, hey, Mark, can you show me how to burn a CD? I would say, sure, get out of the way. Boop, 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 boop. There you go, that's how you burn a CD. And the person would stand there and go, thanks a lot. Really not helping me. I'm really not a great teacher. 
Jesus is a great teacher, and he wants to teach you and me about himself. You know what? When I was in high school, I'm, I'm ashamed to say it, because I know there's so many smart people here, but when I was in high school, I brought home a report card to my father, and it was F, 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 and a couple of more. And I used to, that was the day when you had, uh, what do you call that stuff, carbon copy? And you can actually go, don't listen, young people, you can actually go on a typewriter and make the F into a B. And my father was so tired from work, he would just be like, oh, okay, great. But do not listen, young people. Anyway, so I was never very good in school, and it, as, you can't continue to go that way. You can't continue to do nothing. And I would walk to school, and I would walk in the classroom, and I would look at the teacher. The teacher would look at me. He would make a face. I would make a face, and then I'd walk home. But you can't continue doing that. So they called my mother up to school in 10th grade, and they had all the principals, all the teachers, and my mom. If you knew my mom, she's the sweetest woman in the world. And yet she had to be put through that and sit there with all those people saying, Mrs. Harrigan, your son's just a loser, and we don't want him here anymore. So my mom, being the tough mom that she is, she fought for me. And she got it that I only had to take, amazingly enough, two summer school classes, and I can get back into school the next year. The point of why I'm telling you that is when we got back in the car, my mom didn't scream at me. She didn't yell at me. She didn't say I was an idiot. She said, Mark, I love you. I'm never going to leave you, and we're going to get through this together. I believe that's what God is telling us through the story this morning and in your life. Whatever your trial is, again, I don't know what that is. It could be cancer. It could be a loss of a job. It could be the worst thing in the world that you know you only have a short time to live. Whatever it is, a person who's left you, uh, uh, you're being bullied at school. There's so many things. But God loves you. He is God. He cares for you, and he will never leave you. So the first wave of hope is that he's teaching you, and he's teaching me. And if he could teach me the thick Irish-German head that I have, he could teach anybody. Wave number two is that he directs you. See, now the crowds are fed. He healed them, but guess what? Now that Jesus did that, they want him to be king. You are going to be our king right now. But Jesus knew it wasn't time. He had to go to the cross. He had to die for us. So it wasn't his time yet. But the crowds wanted him to stay. But his disciples wanted him to stay as well. So Jesus directs the disciples. He actually, the words there is that he forces them back in the boat. I want you to leave and go away. So he directs them. As we know, we read, he's directing them into a storm. Do you know sometimes God directs you into a storm? That you would know who he is, that your faith may increase and not fail, and that the world could see him through you. As painful as it is, as painful as the trials that we have in our lives, God wants to direct you. And we see that he does that. We see that he winds up going uh, to pray after he does this, but he's directing them into the boat. And Elizabeth Elliot is a great example of God directing somebody. She's a missionary who lost her husband in the 50s, and there was four other men with him. He was speared to death by Indians going to share the gospel. And most of you know that story because there's been movies in, in the recent past. But what really stuck with me about that is that here's a woman who has a two-year-old daughter. Her husband's just been murdered. And 
she walks into the jungle with her two-year-old daughter fully knowing in her mind that she's dead and that they're going to kill her daughter and kill her. That was very evident because that's all they did. These people, for centuries, all they did were murder people, themselves and people from the outside. So there's no reason to think that they wouldn't do that to her. Now, I just want to share with you what transpired in her life to understand what was directing her to do that, to stand at the jungle's edge and move into something where you know you're not going to make it out. And this is what she said. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I believe that, she said, and asked him daily in the quiet hours before dawn for the light for the day. It was through my Bible reading that he led me to the direction to accept the invitation to go to the tribe. We need to be into God's word. We need, maybe you don't have to get up at 3, 4, or 5 in the morning. Whenever it is, you have a quiet time to get alone with God and read his word. And through the Holy Spirit, it will change your life. And it will move you in directions you could never, ever imagine. Most of those people in the tribe now, today, are believers. God used her and directed her in a direction, I'm telling you, I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't go. It's half the things in my world that's so easy I wouldn't even do. Imagine taking your own daughter into a place like that. So God was directing her. The third wave of hope is that he prays for you and that he prays for me. In the story that I read, it says that Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray. And you wonder, what is he praying? I thought, what is he praying? You know, my heart's so negative sometimes. And I know he wasn't praying this. He wasn't praying, you know, Peter, I mean, that guy, he's so impulsive. Lord, why'd you give me this guy? He's always jumping ahead. He's always saying things he shouldn't say. What about Thomas? The guy doubts everything. And Judas? I mean, come on. He's so greedy. He's always counting the money, and everyone's, he won't let anyone spend anything. And Philip, he just looks at me with a blank space on his face. Is he praying that way? No. You know what he's praying? He's praying for you, and he's praying for me. He's interceding for us right now. And he was praying for them as well. And in Luke 22, it gives us an example where it says that Jesus said, Simon, I am praying that your faith not fail. That's what he's praying. So when you go through a trial, just know that he's teaching you, he's directing you, and he's praying for you that your faith not fail. That your world, whatever your world is, sees him in the midst of your trial. You know, one of my favorite, favorite stories it's the story of Tony Campolo. He's a pastor. This is a great story about prayer, about intercessory prayer. He goes to a church in Pennsylvania, and he goes to preach. And when he gets there, they say, we'd like to pray for you. So there's like eight elders. And he said that he, he, he knelt down, and the elders all put their hands on his head, which is okay, but they prayed and they prayed, and they prayed. And he said, after a while, they were like pressing down on him. And he's like, you know, he thought it was a good idea at first. But not only the pressing down and they're praying, there's one man, one elder, who's not even praying for Tony. He's praying for Charlie Stolfus. Dear Lord, you know Charlie Stolfus. Tony Campolo's going, I don't know Charlie Stolfus. What are you praying for him for? 
You Lord, you know him. You know where he lives. A mile down the road in the silver trailer. Tony's like, do you really have to tell God where this guy lives? Right? So he's praying, and then, and then he keeps praying. He's going to leave his wife and three children today, Lord. Step in. Do something. Please, God. So they all prayed. It was over. Tony got up, and he preached, and he left. He got on the New Jersey Turnpike, and he was heading home, and he sees a hitchhiker. Now, Tony said, you know what? I don't usually pick up hitchhikers, but when I do, it's great. Because they're a captive audience. They're in my car, and I could say whatever I want to them. So we picked him up. He said, hi, I'm Tony Campolo. What's your name? Charlie Stofus. He couldn't believe it. He turned the car around and headed back to church. And the guy, after a few minutes, was like, mister, where are you going? He goes, I'm taking you home. You're, you're Charlie Stofus, right? Yeah, and you're leaving your wife and three children, right? How did you know that? God told me. That's what he told him. He said, God told me. And he really believed. Tony believed that God told him. So not only that, he blew the guy away. He drives right up to his house without him even knowing, without the guy telling him where he lives. Because the elder who was praying told Tony he lived in the silver trailer a mile away from the church. And Tony pulls up. By this time, the guy's like this in the car. They get out, and I don't know why, but the man led him in his house, and, and he starts telling his wife. The wife comes out and says, you're home, you're home, you're home. And the man starts whispering in her ear, and um, her eyes start getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And Tony said to them, you two, sit down. Imagine someone coming to your house and telling you that. Sit down. They both sat down. He led both of those people that day to the Lord, and Charlie Stofus is a pastor. Imagine that. Now, when I told that story at home for my family, I kept thinking, wow, this guy Tony Campolo is great. And my mother-in-law said something that really stuck with me. She said, and she didn't hear me say that because I said it in my head, but she said, that was all God. That was all God. God interceded, he used that elder, he used Tony, and that man was changed. That's what God is doing for you and for me. He is changing us through prayer. He's praying for us right now. So he is in your trials, he is teaching you, directing you, he's praying for you. And you know what? He also sees you. It says, there's a couple of versions, there's, there's um, reading out of Matthew, but Mark also covers this story. And it says that Jesus could see them. Do you know, they were about four miles out. It's like every one of us getting up right now, going to the window, and we could all see into the emergency room at Stony Brook University. That's a miracle in and of itself. But God could see anything, anytime, every day, every moment. And there's not an issue or a trial that you go through that God does not see. That is amazing. Listen, just listen for a minute. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intrinsically woven in the depths of the earth. 
Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I'm reading that, and I can't even really understand that, but I believe it, that he sees us in every trial that we have. You know, there's a story about a young boy, his house caught on fire. He had to go to the top of the house, and it was blazing, and all he could see was the flames. All he could see was the smoke. And his father was down on the ground, jump, jump. If you don't jump, you will die. But dad, I can't see you. All I could see is the flames. All I could see is the smoke. And his, his father said to him, it doesn't matter that you can't see me. All that matters is that I could see you. And that boy jumped and lived. All that matters in our trials is that God can see you. And you know he could see you. I'm going to try to pronounce this. My daughter Kara gave this to me, telling me the story of Hagar, who was in the wilderness, running from Sarah, because Sarah had given her to her husband that she would be able to become pregnant. And Hagar becomes pregnant, but Sarah is not happy. And Hagar runs away. God comes to Hagar in the wilderness and says, it's okay. You're pregnant, and, the, and you're pregnant with someone who I'm going to make a great nation. And it's okay. And Hagar says, you are the God who sees. You are the God who sees me. And the fifth wave is that he comes alongside of you. You know, he comes alongside of each one of us. And the other version there in Mark, it basically says that um, he was going to walk past them. If you read it later, if you look up the version in Mark, it says that Jesus planned to walk past them in the boat. The disciples are out in the water. They're not where they're supposed to be. They're about four miles out. Now, Jesus put them in the boat, and he said, I will meet you over here about two towns down. All they had to do was basically go a little by the shore from town to town. They are four miles out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, rowing for eight hours. A wind is against them, and they're not going anywhere. Have you ever felt like that in your life? That you're not going anywhere? and you're rowing, and you're rowing, and you're rowing, and you're rowing, and you're tired? Jesus comes to them. He walks to them at 3 o'clock in the morning when it's dark, and they are in trouble. You know, one of the greatest things that just happened to me was at my daughter Emma's basketball game. I, I love their age because when they play basketball, they get the basketball, and they start bouncing it, but it goes like this. You know, they're bouncing like that, and then when they shoot, it goes over the backboard. It's a lot of fun. It's great. And as I sat there, I came in, and I was from work, and I was dressed in my suit and my overcoat, and I kind of just sat down, and I took out my phone, which I shouldn't have done, and I was playing on my phone and really wasn't paying attention. Sorry, Emma. And the person next to me starts very slowly. Hey, number 32, I see you. Nice shot, number four. That's my daughter. Nice shot, number four. Great job. Now, he's with his family, and his family's going, oh, my gosh. We don't know this guy. Hey, way to go. He did this the whole game, and it kept getting uh, larger and larger, more and more and more. I, I'm looking at him like I'm, I'm sitting right next to him. I'm almost going like, I don't know this guy. It was great. At the end of the game, he runs up to the losing team. You know when teams win 
and they lose at the end of the game. It doesn't matter who wins or loses. They go, nice game, nice game, nice game, nice game. Have you ever seen that? They high five, high five. He jumps out of his seat. He runs up. He goes, nice game, nice game, nice game, nice game. He high fived everybody. He came alongside those kids in that game. He was there for them. And he didn't care what anybody else thought about him. He didn't care. That, to me, was so impressive. To come alongside people, you're not worried about what other people think. So God comes alongside of you. You know, the sixth wave of hope is that he comforts you. That he comforts you. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. You know, Jesus came walking. And I tried this yesterday. If I fall, any nurses around? Okay. He comes walking on the sea. Walking on their problem. I listened to a sermon by Tony Evans. He said it's like their problem was the waves. He comes walking on their problem towards them. And in your life and in my life, God can walk on anything that you're going through. He can handle anything that you're in the midst of because he is God. I'm glad that worked out well. He comforts you. You know what he says to them when he comes to them? Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. When you're in the midst of a trial, a loved one who's sick, something that's happening that you know you can't handle, remember God's words. Take courage. It is I. The God of the universe, Jesus Christ, the one who redeems your soul, says, take courage. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. You need to write that down in the flyleaf of your Bible. You need to take that out. And when something happens, to understand that he is comforting you by his words, by his presence, everything he's doing in your life, whatever it is. Remember, they were rowing for eight hours. One of the things that is hard for us to do is actually to let God comfort us to let God actually do that. Because a lot of us try to do that on our own. We're going we're gonna to teach ourselves. We're going to direct ourselves. We're going to pray for ourselves. We're going to see ourselves in the issues. We're going to come alongside ourselves, and we're going to comfort ourselves. And we don't really let God do that. I'm praying in my own life that I let God do this. This is going to be a prayer for my life, because I very, very rarely do it. Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. You know, D.L. Moody was preaching, I believe it was in Alabama, and he was sitting on the porch. And as he sat there, he saw a father. The father took a boy, and he picked him up and put him on an eight-foot ledge. father must have been tall. I'm not sure. I guess he was on a ladder or something. But he put him up there, right? And the father said, jump! And the boy dove off like Superman. Like, woohoo! with no care in the world. And then he takes another boy, and he puts him up on the ledge. And the boy just dove off, like doing a cannonball, and the father caught him. There was another boy. The man got him, and he was a little bigger, and looked a little different, and he put him up on the ledge. And he said, jump! Jump! No, jump! He started to cry. He started to be panicked. And the, and the man finally took him down. 
And I kind of messed that story up a little bit because D.L. Moody went to ask him, what was the difference? What's the difference between these two boys and that boy? And the man said, those two boys are my sons. And the other boy's not. And I kept calling him father. That's why I messed it up. But the point is, is that we're comforted because God is our father. If you don't know him today, you can't be comforted from him because you don't know him. So God comforts you. The last point, the last wave is that God is saving. He's saving us. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out of the, bo- out of the boat. I, I love Peter. There's 11 other guys behind him not moving. Matter of fact, they're crying like babies and screaming. They're big, huge fishermen. They're not going anywhere. And Peter says to God, if it, in respect, if it is you, Lord. He wasn't trying to say, hey, guys, look at me. Look, I'm so cool. I'm going to go out in the water. No, he was scared to death. But he knew if that was Jesus, he could walk on the water. And we need to know that in our trials as well. So Peter says, Lord, if it is you, let me come to you. And Jesus says, come to me. So Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on water. Let me say that again. Peter walks on water. That's amazing. Peter does start to sink, but only because he takes his eyes off Jesus and he notices the wind that's always been there. The wind was always there. And he starts to sink and sink and praise God for Peter that he had the thought and the idea of not to try to save himself because he would have sunk to the bottom. But he should do what we all should do. If you've never cried out to God, God, save me. That's what you need to do, and that's what Peter did. See, Jesus Christ is the only one who saves. There is no other who saves. It's only Jesus. And I I thank God for this story and what Peter did, but what God did through Peter. So Jesus is the only one who saves. I'm hoping that some of you saw this movie. I didn't see it, but it's called The Dropbox. Pastor Musser sent out an email a couple of weeks ago saying you should go see it. And I didn't get a chance to see it. However, I did look up on YouTube and try to find out some information. It's a story about Pastor Lee. That's his first name. And they had a a child, him and his wife. He's a pastor in Seoul, Korea. And they had a child with uh, cerebral palsy. And in a land where they just discard babies if they're not perfect or if they're not a certain sex. Or, and this pastor, I saw a picture of him with his son who severely has cerebral palsy, just loving on this kid and kissing his face over and over and it made you cry he, how much he loved his son. And the world in which he lived in and the neighborhood in which he lived in, all the people there knew what he was like and how much he loved his son. So one night... A woman who had a baby who had special needs, she left the baby on his porch. And the baby almost died. The baby almost froze to death. And the pastor took that baby in, and from that, he understood that there were a lot of people there that needed their babies to be saved. Do you know what he did? He, he made, he cut out a hole in his home, and he made a mailbox in his house so that you could go up and open this mailbox. It's padded, it's heated, and people who couldn't keep their babies will put the baby in it and close it and know that the man on the other side is going to save their baby. God is the one who saves your soul and saves my soul. God was using Pastor Lee and using him to save these babies. The most exciting thing about this story wasn't what I just told you. 
the most exciting thing about the story was the filmmaker. He's probably in his 20s. He goes to Seoul, Korea to film the babies for Focus on the Family. And then when he got there, he said, wow, the babies, that, that's great news. But it wasn't what he was looking for. So he wanted, he wanted to film the pastor. So he filmed the pastor. He said, you know what? What he found out was that everything that was happening there was all of God. And he was saving these little children. And that, that filmmaker accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior from seeing how God was using this pastor and saving these children. Every one of you goes through a trial. You might not have a special needs child like Pastor Lee. You might not have a husband or a spouse killed by Indians and walk into a jungle. I get it. We're, we, that might not ever happen, and I pray it doesn't. But whatever your trials are, we have to understand that God is the one who is saving us. So God is the one who is teaching you. He is directing you. He is praying for you. He's seeing you. He's coming alongside of you. He's comforting you, and he's saving you. Now, I pray that we all make that our prayer. Now, in conclusion, I told you a story about me going the wrong way in the New Jersey Turnpike, and I was wondering if anyone wanted to know how that turned out. And as I was driving down the New Jersey Turnpike, I panicked, and I looked to my wife, and all my wife did was that. She did a John Travolta move, and she just went like that. And she threw her arm up, and she pointed at the window. And with that, I took the steering wheel and I went like that and I drove over an embankment probably wrecked the car boom 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 landed on a road that I did not know if I was still going the wrong way my heart was beating like crazy two miles down the road I'm like where are we we're in the right place I don't know where we are did somebody tell me driving down the road there's no signs when you want one there's always there when you don't want one where are the signs so we made it, and we didn't die, obviously. But I do want to tell you, if I died, and my mother-in-law, and my beautiful wife, and Emma, and Kara, and if we perished that night, yes, tragedy, yes, you all would have wondered what God was doing, but it would have been okay, because we are his. And that's the point. If you are God's, it's okay and he wants to use the trials in your life that you would show your world, whatever that is. I don't know your world. You leave here and go to work. You work someplace. I don't know. Your family is your family. I don't know. That's your world. And God wants you to be a light in your world for him. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you that you saved every one of us that claim the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, that he shed his blood on the, on the cross, that he was buried and he rose again, and he is alive, and he is with us in our trials. You, Lord, want to use us every step of the way in our difficulties to show the world who you are. You want to increase our faith, be our hope, but you want us to show that hope and faith to the world. I pray that you would do it in your precious, holy, strong, awesome name, Jesus Christ. Amen.